We're finally coming down to the day the decrees are to be executed. Remember, this is the 13th day of the 12th month. Interestingly enough, several of the Jews' enemies still expected a victory, even though the second decree has been signed where the Jews can now defend themselves. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, kind of the arrogance of the enemies. But God has prepared the Jews to stand against their enemies And this chapter shows results of that day and then the days following. So we're going to look at the first 19 verses of Esther chapter 9. And remember, again, when the first decree was signed, many of the Jews were fasting, praying, and seeking God for that two months until the second decree was signed when God elevated Mordecai to prime minister. So let's look at these verses and see what happens this day. Esther chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, and the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment is decreed drew near to put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them, they hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them all fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all the enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. I did practice these names, but bear with me, okay? And Pershadatha and Delphon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adaliah and Eraditha and Parmashtha, and Erishai, and Eridai, and Vajasatha, the ten sons of Haman, I made it through. We're not going to look at those again, okay? The ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. On that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed five hundred men in Shushan the palace, and ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee, or what is thy request further, and it shall be done? Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according to this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done, and decree was given to Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also of the month of Adar, and slew three hundred men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of those foes seventy and five thousand, but they laid not their hands on the prey. On the thirteenth day of the month Adar, that is in the fourteenth day of the same the day of the same, 
rested they and made it a great feasting and gladness. But the Jews were in Shushan, assembled themselves the 13th day thereof, and the 14th thereof, and the 15th day of the same they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month eight are a, great, a, a day of gladness and feasting and a good day, and sending of portions one to another." So four ways in which I want us to observe the outcomes of the decrees. First of all, I want us to see the presumptions of the Jews' enemies. The presumptions of the Jews' enemies. Secondly, we'll notice the preparedness of the Jews. The preparedness of the Jews. The third point will be the protection of God, seeing how God protected his people. The protection of God, and then we'll end with the prophet of seeking God. Again, the whole theme of this entire book is, is showing the sovereignty of God. So again, this is another way for us to remember God is in control of the outcome of the circumstances. So let's look to him in prayer, please. Father, again, thank you so much for your love for us. As we examine this passage this morning again, Lord, teach us to just simply trust you in all things. Lord, we thank you for it. And Lord, help us to have a better understanding of this passage. And more importantly, a closer relationship with you. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemies still presumed a victory. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the twelfth month is the month of Adar, and the thirteenth day, the same when the king's commandment is decree drew near to put in execution. And that day the enemies of the Jew hoped to have power over them. And then it puts in parentheses, though it was turned to the contrary, the Jews had rule over them to hated them. Even though they knew that this new decree was signed, they still presumed that they're going to have a victory. The idea hope to have power says they waited to have the mastery. Their hatred for the Jews, I believe, overruled good, solid reasoning. And often, you know, how many times have we made a decision or said something in anger and we regretted it later? But the, their hatred was so great that although they saw that Haman had been killed on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai, and Mordecai is now set in the position that he had, they saw God's working on behalf of these Jews. They said, we still will have a victory. That's pretty incredible. The heart, we believe, was hardened as Pharaoh's heart was hardened as Moses confronted him. I mean, how many times did Moses have to come and say, if you don't let my people go, this is the next plague that's going to happen? What really amazes me is the first several plagues, the magicians, instead of fixing the problem, make it worse. And then Pharaoh's heart gets hardened about it. I mean, you know, if you see Moses come and all the, all the water turned to blood, don't you think that you would want your magicians to turn it back to water? But his magicians come and they turn more water into blood, so he gets, well, no big deal. My, my magicians can do that too. Well, that really didn't help you, Pharaoh. What are you, stupid? Sorry, but... <laughs> It just shows how an angry man, because remember Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is God? Oh, you found out, buddy. Tell you that much. But that arrogant attitude, that defiance against God leads people to some really foolish decisions. And even when Moses came to Pharaoh, remember it was the plague of the frogs. Well, when should I take away the frogs? You know what my answer would have been? Yesterday, if not sooner. You know what Pharaoh's answer was? Tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. I'm sitting there thinking, I even heard a message preached once, one more night with the frogs. It's like, why? Why do you do this? 
And then when we look at these names that, you know, it should have been Bob and George and Joe, but these really hard names to pronounce, these 10 sons of Haman. Why did Haman give his kids hard names? His name is pretty easy to say. Okay, we'll get over it. Anyhow, whatever, moving on. You think that after daddy got hung, their father's estate not given to them, but was confiscated because he was hanged as a traitor, given to Esther, Esther gives it to Mordecai to be the steward over it. Mordecai elevated to the position that daddy had and signed in the decree that these Jews can protect themselves. You think they might have stopped a moment and said, hmm, maybe we should think this through before we continue to attack these Jews. But no, these guys still were so angered, so vengeful that, hey, our daddy's blood deserves to be avenged. So we're going to go out here and we're going to kill these Jews anyhow. You know, what sometimes when you read Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, and you read accounts like this, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Now, is it not obvious that they saw God's working? They didn't glorify God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And were not these sons of Haman really foolish? Because I would be heading for the hills. But despite this new decree, there were those that still attacked the Jews. Now, in Shushan the palace, the first day, there were 500 people killed. And then 75,000 in the rest of the provinces. And then 300 on the 14th day in Shushan, and the rest of the provinces had rest. And then those in Shushan had rest on the 15th day. And we'll talk more about how that works in their holiday that they made from this. But not only Haman's sons, but others attacked. Look at verse 15 and 16. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day, also the month of Adar, and slew 300 men in Shushan. But on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew their foes 70 and 5,000, but laid not their hands on that prey. Okay, so 75,000, that's more than just the 10 sons of Haman. Now, as I was looking at a couple of commentaries, I found this. And I don't know how to really go and try. I tried looking at some other sources, but try to prove this. But according to Matthew Henry, he says, the Chaldee paraphrase says that none appeared against the Jews, but Amalekites only. Now, who are the Amalekites? When Israel was coming through the wilderness, they're the ones that attacked Israel, getting mostly the lame and sick and the hinder part, right? The ones that are falling behind. And God told Saul to kill all the Amalekites. But here's where one man's disobedience leads to trouble later. Because who was Haman? Haman was probably a descendant of the Amalekites, right? Okay, now, so he continues, he says, The Chaldee paraphrases, None appeared against the Jews, but Amalekites only, who were infuriated and had their hearts hardened to take up arms to their own destruction. Some of them had an inveterate, implacable malice against the Jews. Don't you love these big words? that Haman's fall and Mordecai's advancement, instead of convincing them, did but exasperate them to make them more outrageous and resolute to cut their own throats. In other words, they were so angry, so full of hatred, that they were, they were, they were willing to do whatever it took, and even if it meant dying, for their cause. But let's remember something about this. Satan wants to destroy you. Now, he can't have your soul, but he wants to make you as most ineffective Christian he can 
And he's going to use whatever means he can, whether that be others, whether that be circumstances, whatever he can use. He's going to use any means possible. We need to remember 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So this was the presumption of the enemies. Now let's move on to the preparedness of the Jews. Now remember, after the first decree was signed, they were praying and fasting and sought God. And Christian, this is where we need to start. If we want to see God working on our behalf, if we want to, as we read about the revivals of old time, as we see some of the th- great workings of God, if we want to see that again in our time, that we need to get serious about praying and fasting and seeking God. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Let me ask a question. And I don't say this to try a point finger or chai because I don't know, but how many of you spent time praying and asking God to bless our efforts yesterday before t- yesterday? Because otherwise, if we do it in the flesh, what does it matter? It's not going to mean anything. You know, it's the Holy Spirit of God that draws men to Christ. He uses his word to draw them. You know, those tracts have scripture in it, but people have to read it. And so are we asking God to use this for his glory to draw men to him? But we also see that their reputation precedes them. Remember back in chapter 3, hold your place here. Come back with me to chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, the post went out. <clears throat> this is the first decree. And the, uh, the, d- the messengers taking it out and delivering it to all the different provinces. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment. The decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Why? I don't understand. These Jews are nice people. I mean, I go over there and, you know, I I go buy my new car from this guy. He's a nice guy, right? Whatever they were buying, you know what I'm saying. But, I mean, you know, they may have had businesses in town, right? They were definitely interacting with other people. And so the people were perplexed. Well, what if they had done to deserve to die? It shows the reputation preceded them. Yeah, okay, they're a little bit different. They don't worship all the gods we do. They have this one god, and they have these weird uh, holidays that they observe. But overall, they're good people. Now, I'm talking like one of the Persians. You know... Christian, that should be the attitude the world has of us. The testimony that we have should precede us. But too often, and guilty, matter of fact, I'll admit to you, last night, guilty again. Had this guy pull out my driveway, and this guy gets right on my bumper. I'm doing 34 miles an hour, 35 on Miller. I'm doing 34 miles an hour, gets right on my bumper and starts honking. And he's like right on my bumper. So I tapped the brakes and slowed down a little bit. Now he's honking even more. And he's even closer. I mean, he's about ready to hit me. So I tapped on the brakes and slowed down a little more. Then he speeds around me and slams on his brakes as he's telling me he's number one. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have tapped on my brakes, but I'll be honest with you, I don't like somebody right on my bumper. But I'll tell you, it wasn't so much for safety. It was more the fact he was irritating me. You follow my motives were wrong. He was really starting to irritate me. So if you find me dead in a ditch someday, it's probably this guy, okay? Because <laughs> no lie, I mean, he turned 
right, I turned right, he pulled into Speedway, and I just kept right on driving, and as I drive by, he tells me he's number one again. So, whatever. Some people just get angry about anything. So, my point being, you know what? I could have just turned off on one of the side roads, I could have tried maybe pulling off on Miller and let him go by so that I can drive my granny pace that I want to drive. <laughs> but it wasn't a good testimony. And I thought of it later, I'm glad I didn't have a bumper sticker that said Freedom Baptist Church somewhere in the car. Matter of fact, I had a preacher friend who used to get license plates made for the vanity plates for the front of the cars at his church. And then he said, then I saw what some of my church members are doing with them, you know, the, the way they drive and the way they be aggressive and everything else. He goes, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so if you ever think we should have those, the answer is no. Let's go to chapter 9 and verse 3. All the rulers of the provinces. How many? And the lieutenants, and the deputies, and the officers of the king. Remember, these are the ones who, who received these letters, right? It's the same list. Helped the Jews. Now, that's pretty cool. Because remember, Al pointed out a couple weeks ago that the Jews are strangers in the land. So what rights did they have to arms? What rights did they have to defending themselves? What rights did they have? Probably not a lot. Okay? But all of a sudden, all the rulers of the land and all the lieutenants and all the deputies, so they have the military force and the law enforcement behind them. So how did they get armed? Well, they had these guys fighting for them, the trained guys of the land fighting for them, you do realize, and we'll get to more of this when we get to God's protection, I'm kind of jumping ahead, it doesn't record a single Jewish loss. 75,000 plus killed on the other side, not a single Jewish loss. But they had the help of the officials in the land. Now it's interesting, it gives the reason why. Because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Well, the prime minister happens to be one of these Jews. It probably would behoove us to follow that second command, that second decree, and not the first one, since the guy who wrote the first one is dead, and the guy who wrote the second one is the prime minister of the land. It might behoove us to follow this one. Now, I believe some of it had to do with the reputation of the Jews, but it's also because these men were smart enough to figure out, if we don't follow through what Mordecai said, there could be bad consequences for it. Now again, who orchestrated all this, folks? God did. What is your testimony in the community? Proverbs 4.18, But the path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. We should have a shining testimony in our community. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be people who don't talk bad about you and people who don't, li you know, don't like you and everything else. You're not going to be everybody's best friend, okay? But the truth is, is... And, and one of the qualifications of a pastor is, is, is above reproach. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be accusations that come. It means the accusations can't stick. There's no evidence for it. People accuse Christians of all kinds of things. Okay? I've heard people accuse, you know, other churches of stuff that I know is not true. I've heard them accuse us of things that I know is not true. And it's like, okay, whatever. Where's the evidence? And I don't say it quite that mean, but Lee, but I do say, you know, ask him, well, show me or tell me specific about that. Well, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know any specifics. Okay, because you really don't have any. You're just making stuff up because you don't like Christians. Got it. But then verse 2, here's something very important. The Jews gather themselves together in all their cities throughout all the provinces. They work together. Believers and 
trust me, if you don't, have not been to other churches, if you've not been to places that have these weird thoughts about the way we are in Christianity, you've been blessed, okay? Because God has given us a good unity here at Freedom Baptist Church. But let me tell you something. I even had a professor who used to say, independent Baptists are the only group I know that take target practice standing in circles. And we do. What camp are you of? What college you graduate from? I've had people ask all these questions. Oh, you're from Ambassador. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, brother, but you know, unless you're from whatever, they'll name the college. I can't blah, 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 blah. Okay, good to know. Because last time I checked, we're all on the same team. You know what? One of these days, we're all going to be raptured out of here, and we're all going to be together in heaven. Why do we have such a hard time getting along down here? You know, there are other independent Baptist churches in this area that are doing a wonderful job serving God. And some of you have heard me say this because when you came here to visit, I said, well, if you're looking around for a church, here's a list of churches I could recommend you visit before you make your decision. You know why? I am not in competition with any other church. We're here to advance the kingdom of God. And so are they. Now, I'm not talking about the church that, that thinks homosexuality is fine. And I'm not talking about the church that thinks they can have women preachers. I'm not talking about the church that denies the word of God. I'm talking about solid Bible-believing churches that may not dot every I and cross every T exactly like we do, but they're following the word of God. You know, there's some churches where I'd be wrong because I don't have a white shirt on today. There's some churches where I'd be wrong because I have facial hair today. Okay? And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm over it. Let them judge. Because unless they can show me in the Bible where I have to wear a white shirt every time I preach or that I can't have facial hair when Jesus did, they have a hard time with that one. Yes, it's pride. Me, me, me. Folks, take this the way it's intended. This is not a bust on any of you, but I'm proud to be a pastor of a church of misfits. Because, you know, we all are, really, right? We're all sinners saved by grace. And I'm proud, in a right sense, I'm proud to be a pastor of a church that realizes we're just sinners saved by grace. And not a bunch of arrogant, phony balonies running around trying to stick their nose up at everybody else. Let's stay that way. I'm serious. We've got to walk humbly with God, folks. Acknowledging, but by the grace of God, so go I. But Paul had to remind the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, he says, For ye are not carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Harry Truman said, It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. You know what the problem is? I want the credit for it. This does not just apply to churches, but this applies to every area of life. You know, when I ran for, for a city commissioner, one of the things I found is a lot of the reasons why things weren't getting done is because so-and-so wanted the credit for it. And if they weren't going to get the credit for it, it wasn't, they were going to deny it. I've had many conversations with my colleagues saying, I thought you were here to serve the people, not yourself. Let us stand together against the true enemy because Satan is trying to attack. Satan is trying to take as many souls to hell with him as he possibly can. And we're sitting here fighting among ourselves, which is ridiculous. And he laughs at us when churches sit there and argue over the color of the carpet. 
By the way, ladies, if you want to scrub that spot, I mean, we're going to eventually scrub right down to China. That's fine, but it's been there forever and it's not going anywhere. I know every lady gets bothered by it. Someday we're going to raise enough money and replace the carpet in here. But until then, who cares? Because you know what? This is a beautiful facility God gave us to come and to worship Him. So we need to be ready. Be ready to share the gospel. As Peter reminds us, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason to hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to be ready by putting on the whole armor of God as we're commanded in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of gospel peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. We need to be ready, because soon Christ is going to return, and we need to say, as it does in the song, we'll work till Jesus comes. Number three, and my time's running out, the protection of God. The protection of God. We already saw this, so I'm not going to dwell on it, but the leaders of the land helped the Jews. Remember, both decrees were sent to these same individuals, and they made the choice to help the Jews. And they would have had the weapons and resources necessary to set up a defense. And they said, okay, Jews, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you. We're going to use our weapons. We're going to use our personnel. We're going to use our, you know, stuff that they didn't have available to them. All of a sudden, God provided God put the fear of the Jews in the people. And you know what we lack today? People don't fear God, and they don't fear God's people. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace with him. God worked on their behalf. The Jews slew their enemies, 500 and 300, on the two consecutive days in Shushan, and the 75,000 in all the rest of the provinces. And as I said before, not one recorded Jewish loss. That's a pretty good battle, is it not? God protected them. They were strangers in the land. They had little or no protection or defense. But God made a way for them to be defended. It seemed impossible, but is not our God the God of the impossible? Luke 18, 27, he said, The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Point number four that I want us to see is the prophet of seeking God. Remember, they had been praying and fasting and seeking God, and now all these results come. And so, let's go to, we see the enemy was destroyed. We already looked at 800 in the two days in Shushan, the palace, and then 75,000 in the rest of the kingdom. But the Jews' interest was in preserving life, not in material gain. You say, how do you get that? Let's go look at verse 10. Ten sons of Haman, the sons of uh, Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil they laid not their hand. Go to verse 15. The Jews who were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day, also in the month of Adar. They slew 300 men of Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. Verse 16. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest of their enemies and slew their foes, 75,000, but they laid not their hands on the prey. Now go back to chapter 8 and verse 11. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy and to slay and to cause to perish all the power of the people and provinces that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to what? Take 
the spoil of them for prey. But every time it says in, in chapter 9, it gives an account of how many were killed. It says they did not take the spoil. Now, what's that tell us, folks? What's that tell us? Okay, they weren't concerned about material gain. They were concerned about the preservation of life. And I believe in order to show that this was not about trying to gain anything from it other than we were falsely accused and these people are coming at, at us for a false reason and to show that we just did this in defense, not for gain, they did not take any of the prey even though they were told they were allowed to. Folks, we need to understand the things of this world don't matter. Yeah, we need things to live. We need money to live, right? I mean, you got to have some food once in a while. It's nice to have a roof over your head. It's nice to have the, these things. But, you know, the things of this world really don't matter. Talking about presents and, and the gifts and everything else. People think that the bigger the gift I buy, the more it shows I love them. No, it doesn't. You know what I actually appreciate more than anything? It's homemade gifts. You know why? It took somebody's time and effort. And that means more to me than spending money. And it should every one of us. But I've heard people get homemade gifts like, oh, this, this is just trash. Really? Somebody took their actual time and effort to make that for you. And it's the time and effort that means more than the material thing that they gave you. You see what I'm saying? They were thinking of you when they were putting this together. That should mean something. Should it not? So the enemies were destroyed. And they did it for the right reason. Then let's go down to verse... 18. Let's start at verse 17. On the 13th of the month of Adar, that is the 14th day, the same rested, and they made it a day of feasting and gladness. The Jews were at Shushan, assembled themselves on the 13th day, and on the 14th day, on the 15th day, the same they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. So the whole palace rests on the 14th day, or the whole um, kingdom, except for the city, the palatial city, Shushan, rest on the 14th day. But because on the 14th day there were still battles being had at Shushan, they rested on the 15th day. But the ultimate thing is, the Jews were given what? Rest. Jesus Christ is our rest, folks. We can rest in Him. And the truth is, folks, is you and I need to realize one of the benefits of serving God is I can go to sleep at night, put my head on that pillow, and I can rest, and I can rest in Him throughout the day. I don't have to worry. You know, I used to be a worry war. I used to worry about everything. I did. And it still started affecting me physically. I realized how foolish this really is. And you know, the Bible actually talks about that. Removing strife will bring the rest. And then they were able to rejoice. It was a day of gladness. Well, yeah, because... Number one, they're still alive. Number two, their enemies are destroyed. They can speak freely of God. Remember even when Mordecai was elevated, that, that Esther and Mordecai were able to express their uh, relationship and to be able to express that both of them were Jews, which they had hidden up to that point before their safety. And think of the gladness this would bring in this whole kingdom now that the enemies of God are destroyed and they can worship God freely. And remember, there's one passage already said that many of the um, Persians had become Jews. There was rejoicing, and it was a day to be remembered. They remembered God's work and established a holiday. The holiday they established was to be an observance and a remembrance. 
So is Passover, so are all these other holidays that God established. The unfortunate thing is, if you look at many of the Jewish holidays today, they have perverted what God originally intended, corrupted it. I think, unfortunately, we have done the same thing with holidays. So I'm... But the outcome of the decree showed the presumption of the enemies of the Jews, the preparedness of the Jews, the protection of God, and the results or profit of trusting God. When it seems impossible, we need to remember God is still in control. Eleven months earlier for these Jews, when that first decree was signed, this was an absolute impossible situation. Their death warrant had been signed, and they saw no way out. Aren't you glad God is not limited by our reasoning? Because God provided a way out. We could go on with further application, because every one of us is a hell-deserving sinner, and there's no way out, because that's what we deserve. But God, in His infinite love and infinite mercy, provided a way out through His Son, Jesus Christ. These are fantastic passages, but our time is up, so let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer.